0: So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. She was born and raised on a cattle ranch. How that helped prepare her for a life in the theater? Well, you'll find out in this episode. Welcome Tony Award winner Kelly O'Hara to the podcast. okay.
1: so, so, so very much. Thank you with all of my heart. I'm going to take a deep breath, and I, I, you'd think that I would have written something down by now, but I haven't. I haven't. I wouldn't allow myself to do that, but I will say this. I love what I do, and I don't need this, but now that I have it, I've got some things to say. Um, I, I come from a place far away, but there's a little teacher there, and two of us tonight, Kristen and I, share her. Florence Birdwell, thank you for that. The other women, yes, Florence, thank you. The other women in my category, a legend, future legends, I am so proud to be part of you, part of your heir tonight. Um, My parents, who are sitting next to me for the sixth time, you don't have to pretend it's okay this time. And... (laughs)
0: Hey everyone, my guest today is the Tony Award winning actress Kelly O'Hara. Kelly's illustrious career on Broadway includes the shows Jekyll and Hyde, Folly, Sweet Smell of Success, Dracula, The Light in the Piazza, The Pajama Game, South Pacific, Nice Work If You Can Get It, The Bridges of Madison County, and The King and I. On television, she's appeared in roles on many shows, including Masters of Sex, The Accidental Wolf, Blue Bloods, and the upcoming season of 13 Reasons Why. Some of her films include The Independence and Sex in the City 2. She performs in concerts all over the world and has produced solo albums along with her multiple cast recordings. She's devoted to many charities, including Say, a theater program devoted to kids who stutter, and it also has a summer camp component. She has a performing arts center named after her in her town of Elk City, Oklahoma. She is married to the actor, writer, director musician Greg Naughton. Together they have two beautiful children and I'm so thrilled to welcome Kelly O'Hara to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, Lana. That's kind of a very truncated version of all the work that you've done. Oh, well, I think you hit all the good points. You do? Thank Are you. The good yes, ones? Okay. Yes. Well, let me know if along the way you're like, there's also this thing that I really loved and I'm proud of that I want to mention. I moved here from Teaneck, New Jersey, so I had to go over the George Washington Bridge, <laughs> which by the way felt like a That's very a long deal. ride. That's a big but deal. But it wasn't quite the same is growing up on a farm in Oklahoma. Was yours a working farm? Oh, still is. Still Still is. Been in the family for many generations. And
1: uh, my dad and my brother still cattle ranch and my uncle still runs the entire farm. So yeah, no, very, very much active. That's incredible. What is the name of the farm? Well, it's O'Hara and Sons, basically. Uh, There's really not a name. There's a, a lot of property in different places. And when I was a kid, it was in cotton and wheat And cattle and now because of the environment and all sorts of changes, we're mostly into cattle.
0: So you grew up working on the farm, I imagine. I did, I did
1: my first job was chopping cotton, which is which means chopping the weeds out of the cotton field.
0: Like my kids have been complaining because now they have to commute to school and like we wake up at 6.30 in the morning, which for theater folk is in fact an ungodly hour since we've gone to bed at 2.30 in the morning, winding down from whatever we've done the night before. Was this the rooster crows and up you go?
1: Yes. When, when you chop cotton, you have to do it in the morning before noon because it just gets too hot. The sun is just over you like you've never known. Um, and so we would wake up early, but I'm not saying I woke up easily. I remember my brother came, coming in and Banging and trying to get me up, and but you know I was the third of three kids, and there were there was a boy and two girls, and I have to say my brother got the brunt of it. I mean he was literally working almost full time with his own animals, his own livestock, his own fields, and I'm not kidding. When he was about nine or ten, um, probably too much, honestly. My sister and I got it a little easier. Um, and definitely by high school decided to go get a job at the grocery store <laughs> instead. And, and by that time, I was also working in a Philadelphia cheesesteak sandwich shop uh, in high school. So, you know, we moved on from those farm jobs, although we always had livestock and we showed pigs and cattle in the in the 4-H livestock shows.
0: Was your extended family around and involved or when you say a, a many generations of family members farming it, how – Far was the reach in terms of you know, other people working with you.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was definitely with my uh, my siblings mostly when we did that. Um, but my first cousins also lived in town, and they still live on the farm. They've My two first cousins have moved back and built homes on the same acreage as, as their parents, which they live on the original farm. So it's still very – and their kids are – are showing livestock in the 4 H and the FFA shows. And so they're doing it much more than I am, obviously. I've moved to East, but that's what our, our thing it's a is. Family affair.
0: It's a family
1: affair. And then I married How into it. I I'm, I'm sorry, you <laughs> no, guys. No, please sing it. Please <laughs> sing it instead. That's
0: awful. You'll have no, to. No, I, I no, can't,
1: I can't beat that. I'm not going to try. That was really nice.
0: <laughs> that's Kelly O'Hara saying she can't beat Alana Levine in singing. And we're done. Thank, <laughs> thank, you, thank you so you. much for coming in. This you're was welcome. amazing. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I meant it. Oh. Yo. So you're mom married into this farm family? Did she grow up also
1: farming? No, in fact, I was going to point that out. Her father was the doctor of the town. And so it was very different lives colliding there. And he was, my, my grandfather, my mom said, was the artist the, the, the lover of the arts in the family. And he's the one that when I wasn't farming or doing those types of things on my dad's kind of side of the family, he was buying me my first clarinet and encouraging me to sing and, and be in the plays. And and so I had um, both sides, you know, from my, my paternal and maternal grandparents.
0: It's no secret. I know Kristen chenwith because we were in mm-hmm. Charlie Brown together. And I know that there's um, a history. I mean, you both come from Oklahoma and you both studied with the magnificent Florence Birdwell. I know for Kristen, growing up in a small town in Oklahoma, Church, was where she sort of discovered kind of a joy of singing in front of other people and the feedback that she got from people when she sang. For you in Elk City, (laughs) where was your discovery that not only could you sing, but that there was there were people who wanted to hear you sing.
1: Well, no, I mine was definitely church too, but uh, I think the difference and Chris and I would both agree. The difference, 7 inches. Yeah. No, that's between the <laughs> besides the 7 inches. Um, no, I grew up in in a Catholic family in a Catholic church which was very unusual for that area. And she grew up in the the usual Baptist Bible Belt Baptist area, which is very much about the invitation and the expression and singing, you know, with a lot of kind of as entertainment. and and I think she she probably got bitten by that bug for that reason. I was singing in church as a cantor and a very kind of modest. Um, leadership, you know, kind of leadership way, not so much performance, but more um, still. And uh, and I don't know if that affected the way we looked at singing in our, in our adult lives, but um, I can see how it, would, it affected us, actually, now that I think about it. So uh, music came to me through church and singing for different organizations around town, but in a very kind of different way. You know, I didn't sing and then get applause, for instance. Yeah, maybe that's exactly why we're as different as we are. Um, And two very different towns. I was actually born in the town that she lived in, but we moved back home to where my parents both grew up when I was three, to Elk City, which is on the other side of the state.
0: So when did you realize
1: that you had a special vocal gift? The funny thing about that is that I I was cantering in church probably after this. Uh, the, the first moment I can really remember, and my mom has told me this, that's more of her memory, it was a, it was a talent show. I was in the fourth grade. And um, it makes me laugh because I was trying to decide, I wanted to be in the talent show and I was trying to decide if I should do a major dance number that I would choreograph myself to the song Spies Like Us. Let's sit with that for a minute. Or sing a song, stand and sing a song. And my choice would be, that's what friends are for by Dion Warwick. And I chose, thankfully, to sing, because if you think about the way, I, you wouldn't know that I I was a little quite chubby girl. So the thought in my leotard doing a, so- a dance to Spies Like Us compared to just standing and singing a nice, gentle song. Uh, thankfully, I made the right choice there. And my mom says she remembers just kind of looking around thinking, what, what's going on right now? She actually sounds really, really decent. And so it was after that that I started cantering in church because my aunt did that and and uh getting little fun voice lessons from a local teacher and then it's kind of took off from there
0: were you doing yeah. were you always doing plays and musicals in school no no well i did
1: some that wasn't a big deal where i'm from my sister liked to sing too and then once that all started we started more junior high and high school we sang together we sang country music like the Judds. and and that was really fun and she actually She's a great musician, and she's really the reason why I kind of started really thinking we could do it in front of people. But I played sports, and I did a lot of that stuff. My mom let me do a summer drama program, and we would put on little shows, you know, like Oklahoma. <laughs> I did the school plays that I could, but when I moved, we moved when I was a junior in high school because my dad had gone back to school in his 40s to fulfill a dream of becoming an attorney, and we, so he left the farm. He left. Well, he left the farm, but he still ranches cattle ranches on the side because he missed it so much. But when we moved, I got to take voice lessons from a student of Florence Birdwell. I got to be in a school program um, that where they did do a lot of plays and musicals, and I got to be in for my junior and senior year. I got to be in some real you know, really special ones. And I think that started to really affect
0: my decision making. I have a daughter who just started high school. So when I think about, like, if I told her, we're moving next year, okay. that must have been a huge thing at that age. Was it for you to kind of... I think it's integral to who I am, actually. That
1: that move changed everything for me. I think that I loved music and I knew I loved music, but I'm not sure what I would have thought about doing with it had I stayed in Elk City. And then where I would have gone to college, who knows? The move my junior year that put me into this good fine arts program in the co- in the high school, and then I was started taking voice lessons from a student of Florence Birdwell, and which led me to her. And I think that changed everything. In fact, I don't even know. I can't even really think about what I would probably
0: had be doing. you not. Yeah. And is that how you sort of then made friends moving in the middle of high school to this new school? Like, I really think about the vulnerability you know, of yeah. that age, and moving is so hard. Anyway, mm-hmm. it just kind of struck me to be like 15. Yeah. Were you close with your siblings? I was very close with my
1: siblings, but they had... I was the third, so they were all in college they by were this done. point. And it was just me, and I think my parents thought about it long and hard and said, we, we can afford to do this, you know, I think she'll be okay. I kicked and screamed. Uh, I would drive home. It was only a few hours, but I would drive home on the weekends sometimes to see my friends. But then I started to fall into place there. It was a small school. It wasn't, a, And I, I also knew one girl that was going there that had lived in my town uh, when we were little kids. So she really helped me. Um, she remains to this day my very, very best friend but i i think that once i started to kind of just find my place there and find the things that i loved it worked out for the best and now i can easily say it's the best thing that ever happened but i'm working on a show right a television show which is quite the opposite right now where a girl moves and and has such a horrible time but i think about her a lot mm. um i was nothing like her but i think about being asked to move and uproot everything and all your friends to go to a new school and and there were I can tell you a lot. of. I mean, there were a lot of things that happened to me that were not easy in the new school. Like what comes well, to mind? Well, um, you know what's so funny is that the more I think about it, it, it came more from the adults than it did from the kids sometimes. Great. Um, <laughs> great. Thank you. Yeah, right? I was clearly – right when I moved there, I, I wanted to audition for these musicals. And I was the new girl coming in. And I remember I got cast in the first musical – it was Carousel. I got cast as Carrie, so I got one of the roles of only of two roles, and I was a junior and I was new, and that immediately sparked a, a little bit of a, a darkness in a lot of a lot of some of the girls and right. then a lot of some of the girls' mothers. I had a teacher who was a, a girl's mother who was not kind to me, and I'd like to visit with her <laughs> as an adult and say because I then I any it's it's too long of a story, but I, I I'm surprised now to remember back where some of our bullying can sometimes come from, if you think really that's think about really it. Important yeah. yeah. To we highlight. have to watch it as parents. We really have to watch it.
0: I know, in our desire to protect and encourage our children's gifts, just teaching them empathy and generosity yeah. is everything. Right. And also just realizing, I mean, when are we going to realize that there's room for all of us?
1: And you know, even if you're on top one day, you move you got to move over. It's just the most—it's it, hard for human nature to to do that, but it's just the most normal thing to realize. We can only rise to the top so often, and then our paths can't really be on top of each other's. So, you know, I've said that before. We're doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of set up a, a culture where— someone's success means your failure, oh, it's just, it's painful. There's a little book that my my daughter in her preschool reads, you know, Filling Up Your Bucket, where you, you empty someone's bucket to fill up your, you know, and how that doesn't work. It's such a simple little idea, but it's, I can't believe that sometimes it's adults who can't figure that out.
0: I know that needs to be in the green room. Yeah, of like every, of every, but I mean, this theater. our business is so much about that.
1: It's so much about, well, you know, that eyeing someone out of the corner of your eye because they're succeeding, and
0: that jealousy. But it's not your success. You know, for some people that comes naturally, and for some people it doesn't. So, yeah, but how, is it taught,
1: or is it you know, is it a, yeah. is it a carefully taught
0: situation? I think that's uh, to quote. Mm-hmm. I love that musical. Mm-hmm. Have you seen South Pacific? Yes. I wish you actually, could. have I did, seen I don't yourself. know that I saw
1: it. I actually, well, no, I did see. I came back and saw it after when I after I had my
0: baby. Yeah. You were really good. Um, Just by the way, I do feel like there are certain industries, right, that sort of feed on that Mm. more than others. But Mm. it is something when you describe what it was like to be, you know, a junior in high school, it does start really early. And there's this whole kind of thing of like a little bit of healthy competition and competitive spirit is a great thing. It makes you work hard and it makes you care about what you're doing. Yes. But when it gets sort of to the point that you're describing, it just breaks my heart. Really, and I, I would like, I appreciate that you want to sit down and and converse with that mom. I just want to slap her. But yeah, <laughs> no, I'm to a place now where I could probably just have a nice
1: conversation. But if I do, I, I think a competition is a good thing, and I'm here because there was a lot of drive to, to do well and to. I don't know, maybe prove something. Who knows what it is? We're, we all come from something, right? And uh, But it gets to a point where you, you have to realize that, well, our business is very singular, very solo, mm-hmm. you know, but I loved the fact that when building a show, you do it collaboratively with a group of people or when in sports, you're playing collaboratively with a team. Um, and so that competition can feel somewhat, at least on your team, you're bound by something. So that's a good thing
0: you know but if you're alone in that in that it's it's often hard so you talked about your grandfather who mm-hmm. was sort of this like beautiful artistic influence in your life Mm -hmm. I would imagine in Elk City and then when you moved there weren't like a tremendous number of big musical touring companies coming through (laughs) Um, and there wasn't YouTube yet to kind of see Hamilton even if you lived in Elk City on your on your computer what were the early cast recordings that kind of became your soundtracks of of happiness from your youth I never saw a professional show until I moved to New York uh, I never
1: really listened to a cast recording. I watched movie musicals. And so I heard the songs on the movies, um, definitely Sound of Music and Carousel, anything Shirley Jones did because she was Laurie in Oklahoma and as mm-hmm. a little girl from Oklahoma, that meant a lot. Uh, so Julie Andrews and Shirley Jones and Doris Day movies and you know the typical things that you can imagine um, really fed my childhood. When I first began to see live productions it was mind blowing and and the thing about it is that i wasn't oversaturated with them at, at obviously at a young age so that they became commonplace the first time i ever visited new york i was 21 i was brand
0: new to it so did you come with college, like on a, on a trip once, to visit I came once my New senior York? year of college. That was it. And, so what uh, did you see? Do you remember the first show you parents, saw? My uh, parents, on our first
1: trip, actually, then I came again with friends for spring break. On our first trip, my, my parents, my very first musical just happened to be Masterclass. Jerry Steichen, who was the pianist in that show, was an OCU guy. And we went to see it, and the Callis, I was an opera major at the time, all through college, and the Maria Callis Story of it all it was very appealing to me, and it really changed my idea about what Broadway could be for me. You know, seeing someone like Audra there, and and I really thought to myself, "Wait a second, I I could do this. I could I could rip up my." opera master's opera application and move right to New York and how blind I was because how naive actually because masterclass was very unusual <laughs> right. so you know I moved to New York and you know the first thing I'm auditioning for is Jekyll and Hyde right. you know You're it's like, like
0: a, I'm an opera um, singer yes and, um, do you yeah. have anything with the yeah. high c-
1: um, but I you know I went from masterclass to coming to New York and seeing ragtime when I moved here. And those two alone built up an idea in my head about what I could possibly do. But other than that, I saw cats in Chicago, you know, those types
0: of things. Um, But that was really impactful. So when you literally finish college Mm -hmm. and decide to not pursue opera Mm -hmm. on a graduate level Mm -hmm. and to come to the big city, Mm -hmm. literally, like, what was the plan? Who did you know? Where did you go? I had no plan. Uh, my parents, I can't believe they
1: let me do it. I uh, i had done musical theater of Wichita for Summerstock, and I met a guy there who said I could stay in his apartment for a month. So uh, my friend and I from college, we packed our suitcases and we moved uh, in September of 1998. And we stayed on his couch and we walked around trying to find an apartment to live in. And people just laughed at us. There were four of us ultimately that lived together and um, we're still best friends to this day and supported each other through everything. And the one thing that had helped me was when I was a senior on that spring break trip, Kristen, Kristen had arranged for me to audition for her agents. She arranged for about 10 of us in, this, in the Birdwell studio to come. She rented a space at NOLA for us. Kristen did. And her two agents came and sat down and listened to us. And I was fort- very fortunately one of the two that they said they would consider signing once we moved there.
0: That's incredible. Yeah.
1: So I immediately – they they immediately said, start going out. Start auditioning. We'll, we'll see what happens. And so they start sending you. Well, they didn't. Yeah. They said, you go. You go non-equity. You go. Wait. Back then, non-equity was different. You could get seen. Sure. And I did. I booked a couple of out-of-town, like, uh, you know, non-equity little roles and at that point they started saying, Okay, well, let's see what we'll send you out for a few things. And it started happening, and then I got Jekyll and Hyde on tour, and then I was their client. And then from there, Jekyll and Hyde on Broadway, which led to that, which other that and then the rest is kind of history. So thanks, Kristen General.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Gosh, you don't hear a lot of stories like that. But that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, make room for everybody. And now And there you both are nominated for Tony's. Yeah, she probably regretted it at that point. She was like, I shouldn't have helped that little <laughs>
1: That's mine! Actually, you know what? She came up to me in the first Tony luncheon. By this time, you know, we've shared a lot of things. I'm sure. Over the years. And she put her face to my face, and she said, I want this one to be yours. That's what she said to me. So everyone in the world, hear that. Everyone wants to win the Tony if you're nominated, but that's what she said to me. So sweet, sweetheart. and A sweet, sweetheart.
0: If you can kind of look back and pinpoint, like... It is a very big deal to come to New York and follow a dream. Mm-hmm. Even if you have the means to do it, mm-hmm. even if you figure out how to physically get here, to leave home is a really big deal. To take a chance on your art and yourself in this way is such a big deal. I mean, you talk about Kristen coming and sort of setting up a room for you guys, but something inside of you was like, I can do this. Yeah. Can you grow that? Can you nurture that? Or do you think you're born with that or you're not? That's a good question. I mean, I,
1: I certainly had supportive parents, but I certainly also had a lot of people in different ways, and even in college, that kind of want to put you in your place a little bit. But I think that overall, the naivete of it all, the kind of unawareness of of the magnitude of the competition, the place, everything really fed into my kind of dreamy, prospects. You know, I was just like, oh, yeah, no, no, I can. And I also gave myself some sort of realistic goal. I was like, by two years, if I haven't gotten a Broadway show, I'll just go home. And going home didn't seem, now it seems impossible. But like, at the time, I was like, no, I could probably go home and still be supported and figure this out. And if I'm really honest with myself, I would definitely say that I never assumed I would go home. You know, I just came, I knew nothing. And sometimes when I see parents with their kids who have them in every dance class, and, and you know, I have my daughter in a little ballet class, but Kids burn out. They burn out of sports. They burn out of art. They burn out of piano lessons and dance. They need a full existence to then choose for themselves what they want to do. And I've just seen it over and over and over again. I had a very best friend I went to college with, and her mom had had her in stuff all her life. Then she was the lead in everything in college. Um, We moved here. She was gone in a year or two. She just was done. And when I told you, when I arrived here, I was ready to begin. And I just think that that kind of it wasn't just a, a, a thought that I would succeed or an assumption that I would succeed by because of being you know ignorant in a way. It was also a I was so hungry for it. It was everything I wanted, and so it was one of those things. Well, I I have to go try because I don't know what I'll do if I don't try. I love it. I mean, I could just I, I can't live without it. As opposed to I've
0: had it. I'm done. You know, it just felt like a new flavor, and I just. I needed more. So when you got Jekyll and Hyde and then it comes to Broadway, mm-hmm. who directed that? Well, no, see, I did the tour, the tour after Broadway, so it was Jerry Mitchell and David okay. Warren, and it was this
1: it was a pretty positive experience for me because I ended up taking over for Emma and you know, I was really growing and and learning a lot. It wasn't not exactly my singing style, but I was doing the best I could. And then when I went into the Broadway company because my tr- my track, the track I had done before moving into Emma just happened a wonderful actress. She ended up getting pregnant, and I fit the clothes, everything. So I got Perfect. to go in for the let's. A very strange kind of way to make your debut. But by the time I joined the company, um, it was it was about ready to close. And it was a different it was a different director. It was a different production altogether.
0: And when you came in, was the stage manager putting you into the uh, show at that one point? One of the, the the
1: dance captain put me in. I didn't meet any of the cast. Right. It was a very lonely kind of thing. Um, the music director had been the music supervisor on the tour, and so he and you know Jason Howland, amazing. He helped put me in. But again, I was stepping back from playing the lead to going back into my track, um, and it was a kind of people were, were ready to go. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and we. So had, they were tired. We had Sebastian Bach and we had David Hasselhoff, and those were adventures. <clears throat> to say the least. And, you know, so I was I think I was um, I think it was very, very confused and dismayed a little bit. I, I made some dear friends. When you talk about that moment, not great. I just I feel like um, I had I had a certain vision of Broadway. You know, I had a certain vision of what that first Broadway stage would be mm-hmm. like and that first backstage would be like. And um And like I said, I made a lot of good friends, but it just wasn't the kind of um, atmosphere that felt like the dream I had had. And remember, my dreams were very, very fantastical. They weren't realistic. Um, I know, but they all
0: happened. They They all (laughs) happened. But I'll tell you,
1: I went from Jekyll and Hyde right to Follies, which – that I mean, Stephen Sondheim in the room, and these you know, Polly Bergen and and Betty Garrett and Marge Champion and Joan, R- all of these people, and Blythe Danner and Judy Ivey, and all these people in a room, and there I was just observing. I remember pinching myself and saying, "This is what I thought about. This is what I thought about." And so it it happened very quickly, and I could compare it and be so eternally grateful. You know, and so, um, and that's when things, you know, started to kind of happen. And that was during that time that this this uh, famous audition had happened, while I was doing follies for the next show, which was the sweet smell of success. Yes, and, and uh, you know, tell
0: it. Okay, I will. You tell it. I was just really, having really.
1: coffee with Christopher Wilden this morning, talk about Brigadoon, and he was the choreographer, and we were both babies when we did Sweet Smell of Success, and we were actually going over a bunch of our fun memories, but
0: um and our embarrassing ones. Brian Darcy James was just in actually. Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Who uh, talks uh, about uh, that show with just so much love and oh, how it f- feeds him still.
1: Yes, yes, and I think I think Brian was kind of the one to rise above in that show. Uh, of he was kind of the one that um he knew exactly what he was doing. He he Brian is very dedicated to just doing the work. Um, I was still very brand new and very wet and behind the you know I was just like Naive and and lost and um and I so I I look back on it with with just a lot of feelings of I wish I knew then what I know now and I could have been more of an advocate for myself and for my part, mm-hmm. but the audition was fun and I I did get develop a relationship with Marvin Hamlish which is for me to walk away that's my takeaway we we did symphony concerts for years after that and I just. Um, he was such a beautiful man.
0: So you were doing Jekyll and Hyde when you? I was doing Follies. What you were doing? Follies, but I was just in me.
1: rehearsal. Just in rehearsal. We had just started, but I knew it was a short run and. Um, and someone told you, like, hey,
0: they're do- going to be doing this other...
1: Well, you know, it's a lesson about how things lead to other things. Uh, the two little shows that I got off out of town, non-equity, when I first moved here, one of them was Phantom in Connecticut, the the, the Yeston Copit Phantom. Um, I met a guy named uh, Eric Michael Gillette, and he said he had done a workshop of this new musical by Marvin Hamlish and John Guare named... The sweet-smelled success, and he said, "The part is you. It's yours. It it has to be yours." And he gave me his very secret script and score. So a year goes by, and I've done two years, maybe a year and a half. I've done Jekyll and Hyde. I've done. I mean, I'm starting Follies, and these auditions come up, and I'm in tech for Follies. I can't get out. I can't get an audition. So I just went over on my lunch break. It was, but I knew. I mean, he, he made me feel like this is your chance. I mean, I owe him that. And he's been a confident, like a friend, all these years. But, sure. Um, so when I got there and banged on the door, um, and no one answered for a little bit, finally they did. Um, they said, "I'm sorry, we're on our lunch break too." You know, it's you're like w- I'm on my lunch one break too. To you know, ten to yeah. six, one to two.
0: You know, and, <laughs> pretty uh, standard.
1: Yeah, but I begged. I said, "No, no, you have to see me. You must see me." I mean, it was the boldness. I don't think I've ever been as bold, and I never had been before, except for my move to New York, and. Uh, this man this man agreed he was like okay but our pianist has gone to lunch i'm going to have to play for you he said i had no idea who he was okay you'll do um he sat down he was playing too slow i snapped my fingers at him hurry up yeah hurry up man hurry up pianist which is so funny because marvin hamlish is known to be the biggest rusher in the, you know he he plays so quickly he can play anything like at the speed of light but um
0: and are you singing from the show are
1: you singing no, I something sang, you brought what did you sing i sang I probably sang somebody somewhere, or or maybe something from Phantom. I don't remember exactly. That's funny. I don't remember. But it, the only other two people in the room were Marvin Hamlish and, and Nick Heitner, the director of the National Theater. You know, I, I didn't know any of them. What? I had no idea. Hey
0: guys, you got an accent.
1: Whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and uh, and I left, and I, I I knew that it went pretty well. You know, I knew that that I, I felt it went pretty well. And then, this is to bring back Brian. I got a call back, and I knew it was a work session with Brian Darcy James, and I said to my mom, I don't care if I get the job. I'd seen him in Wild Party, and I said, I don't care if I get the job. I get to have an afternoon with Brian Darcy James, and that is, I I will learn more that day. I'm certain of it. And I'm I'm right. I was right. Um, He became somebody that I've always really looked up to as an artist
0: and just adored as a person. And... um, and so we had callback after callback. So that was not an easy job to get. You got that audition and you worked it, but it wasn't like one audition and then it's yours. You had to know oh, the no, no. whole there, process. Then there was,
1: you know, there was definitely a, a vetting process and also a, a people probably trying to get other people to agree on some newbie who's never been seen before. And uh, Do you
0: remember seeing other actresses throughout that process? Well, this is the funny
1: thing. I get to the, the final callback and there's three of us in the room. And one of them is one of my closest friends who was, who I was understudying in follies named Erin Dilly.
0: I love Erin Dilly. Yeah, and
1: so you know, it was a a very itchy, you know, but but again, she's well, she's just as lovely as can be and and uh we got out of each other's way a little bit, but we we um we were in there together more holding hands than anything else,
0: you know. I know. Well, that's what people don't realize. The best part of actually, if you still do audition, mm-hmm. is at least you know you're going to get to see people you Your love. Your yes, for, yes. If nothing else, yes. like, you know, I can resent pilot season, but I also feel like, <laughs> oh... Yeah, maybe I'm I'll see guess, some yes, some people. Yes, yeah, yes, it's
1: perfect. Yeah.
0: Um. So that was the beginning. And then I did
1: Dracula, and then oh.
0: Dracula the musical. Thank you.
1: Yes. And but it was Piazza. I would think most people would say was the beginning. In fact, I've had people say that or just assume that. Yeah. You're yeah. like
0: actually, I did many things before that.
1: You know, no matter. Yeah. And you know, sweet smell of success's demise led me to randomly going out to Sundance, Utah, for a project, and because I was there, they. They threw me in this other workshop, which was called Light in the Piazza, which, so it was by chance.
0: You know, I've had so many beautiful artists come sit here talking about the show that they thought was going to be the uh, yes, thing, yes. right? Like, you know, Women on the Verge or yes. some unbelievable mm-hmm. show with the most unbelievable talent, and something didn't yeah. happen. And it's devastating mm-hmm. in the moment, and then everyone can go back and go, yeah. And if I'd only known then that right around the corner was my love, or you know, it's so funny.
1: Even when I think back, I, I get angry with how with with having too much knowledge sometimes because even when that closed, I remember not. Being too upset. Why do you think that was? Because I didn't know how the system worked. You know, I was like, oh, this failed. Like, you know, now I look back and I go, well, maybe it wouldn't have failed if you had, you know, spoken more, if you had known more, if you had fought for the role Mm -hmm. more. You know, maybe at least it didn't ruin my career. But I'm saying at the time, I remember going, oh, gosh that's weird. I signed a contract till next December. What am I going to do to live? You know, where's the, but okay, it's closing. If so if you're like, sorry, yeah.
0: hi, I signed till December. Yeah. Can, can you, so I totally get it. Sevens, We're not yeah. doing it any, got it. However, <laughs> but, but can you give me, cause I signed a new lease on yeah. a, you know apartment. Great. Sorry, one more question. Yeah. Is there any money left? Yes, just a little no, bit. And there was not. But Alas.
1: I just remember, I mean, I knew it was sad to leave my friends, but I, I always thought, no, no, no there's something next. You know, there's. I never stayed in a show too long. I just assumed there'd be something next. The assumption, the the gross assumption in my life, has been so useful.
0: But you're so lucky to have that I, kind I, of. I'm grateful every. Enthusiastic. I have no
1: idea why that is, and yeah. I'm grateful. I pinch myself every day. I really do. I won't say that I haven't worked hard. I mean, I've, I've dotted all my you know eyes and crossed my T's and, and worked hard, and I've tried to in the jobs I've done. I've tried to be a a good collaborator so that—and most of my jobs have come from the job before, to be honest. So um, I guess people like you. No, I mean, I just—I I, want to be fair. I, I don't want to work with somebody who doesn't like me. And I don't want to work with somebody I don't like. And that's happened. But I don't want to feel that while I'm while I'm trying to be an artist and love each other. And I desperately need that. I need to work with people that—where we feel—well, in life. I don't like— um, you know, right now we're going through such a time in, in the world where I find myself saying a lot of things like, how can they sleep at night? How can they sleep at night? Like I say it over and over again, I will never be the person I can, I can't. I can't live on lies. I can't live on, even if there's an argument that I feel I was right about, I still find myself I'm the one that'll go and try to talk it out. I can't live that way. It just doesn't feel good to me. Yeah, no, so I, I think that in in my working situations, I've tried to make it, where we can work together again.
0: So did you meet Bartlett Sher, who you have not been shy about talking about what an important collaborator and teacher he's been in your life? Was Light in the Piazza where you guys met? Yeah, the Seattle production. Uh, we did Sundance, and then we went to
1: Seattle to the Intimate, and he was the artistic director. And he was overseeing the production as a—he and Craig— Craig Lucas were artistic directors at, and so Craig directed that production and wrote the book for the whole show. And then Bart was the overseer. And then when we went to Chicago, Bart took over as the director. And so um, he was more. The funny thing about Bart is that because a lot of people say, "Oh gosh, he's so difficult and he's so uh, he he intimidates me," I met him as a peer. I met him as a as a. The guy run in the theater where we were, but not my director. And so, by the time we started working together, I had a different voice with him, and I think that's been the difference all these years: is that he wasn't my director first; he was my acquaintance first.
0: How is he different in one version of Bart than the other? When you're describing, well, I met him more as a colleague, or, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. than than my boss in this play. Oh, you know, I think people can sniff fear pretty well. You know, it's like a, a horse if they
1: you know, we I used, my dad used to say don't let him know you're scared because you know they'll buck you right off and and I'd be like, "Well, easy for you to say. I'm shaking here, you know, or whatever when I was a little kid." I think that um what happens with an artist who just doesn't want to waste time if they sniff a sycophant or a a a person who's who's not uh you know confident with what they have to bring to the table and that's easier said than done believe me it's funny how much i change when i'm with other certain directors or or, or certain people in my life where i think where's my voice i've lost my voice Right. but i step into a room with bart Shear and i i'll just say whatever's on my you mind you feel like your partner's yeah and i think that i'm not saying that i know how to find that i'm saying because of the circumstance i was just i was allowed to be a different you know be a, the better version of myself but I've definitely stepped into an audition or a room where I put too much power in someone's hands, and that makes my voice weak. And um, I don't think he's very patient with a weak voice, to be honest. Uh, everything I've ever seen from him and many directors when it comes to control or leadership is to smell a weakness is, to, is, a, is annoying to them, and therefore a treatment becomes – and I'm not saying it's fair. It's always annoyed me. It's always bothered me to, to witness that. But that's exactly what it is. I can look at it and see it so plain.
0: So when you look at sort of what it is about your collaboration that's been so successful, because you've done a number of projects together, can you describe it all how he works or what the room is like? He trusts you. He trusts you to bring
1: what you're going to bring the soul to your character in the room, he will create your world. You know, he is so – he's such a history. He knows – I mean, he's just one of those people who knows a lot because he reads so much and always has – but he will – you'll arrive and if you want to talk about World War II like we did in South Pacific or, you know, Siam in the 1800s and wherever we were and how that played against Lincoln being in the White House. And, you know, everything about the historical nature, even if you're doing a musical comedy, he's going to find the historical nature of the time. And so you're going to walk into a world and, and so you know how to place yourself in that world. But he's going to depend on you absolutely to bring the soul of that person in with you. He's not going to do
0: that work for you. Do you have a a go-to process? Do you have a way that you work? Like if Kelly O'Hara were to do a master class (laughs) on, this is how I work. This is how I prepare. This is how I vocalize. Do you have sort of your thing not really.
1: I think that I definitely am a creature of habit. Once I start running a show, you know, I know that I like Fran Curry out there, my my dresser. My she'll tell you it's it it is pretty set. You know, I'd like to have this. I'd like to have this kind of tea, and I'd like to have some time, some you know, by myself. So, and, what
0: time do you generally get? I mean, but there's half hour people who are listening usually go half hour before the show begins. When do you get to the theater and what are your rituals?
1: I'd like to get to the theater an hour before and, you know, maybe doing a little stretching or even a little vocal warm up, depending on the show and and have that have my tea, have some quiet time. But then I had kids and then I can show up. You know, half hour you have to show up, but heck, I was sometimes running in at 20, you know. But when you don't have a choice, you can't be too tied to the have-tos because then you'll get in your head that, well, I didn't do everything I was supposed to do, so now I'm going to be bad. Superstition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the ring that I always put on here? And yet I do find I'm superstitious in a certain way. I try not to prepare... Solely based on what Kelly needs, I, I think. I think I've discovered this later in my life. I, I think sometimes I actually hit my head against a wall about why I'm not more interested in more social media or things like that. And I realize I am private. I was raised that way. Um, if you know too much about me, will it affect how you believe me on stage as Anna or Francesca? You know, did you come in seeing the bridges of Madison County and saying well that's b s she's not Italian, she's not from Naples, or if you didn't know me, were you able to come in and even though people even the people that thought they knew me, was it easier to get to her because you didn't know everything about my pol well most people know my politics yeah. but you know what if you didn't know everything about my personality, in other words, was I a character on that stage or was I a human being on that stage?" And my process will always be, and I, I don't do this on purpose, it will always be about finding the human being because I don't know how to play any other way. Um, I've learned a lot of technical aspects of this of this business. I went to acting school. Um, you studied at Strasbourg. I studied at Strasbourg. Uh, you know, I've, I've studied under amazing mentors over the years. My education has been on the stage in addition to my degree, you know, which was an opera and musical, you know, opera. But I, I feel like for as much technical aspect as I can put to it, which I de- definitely lean on, especially doing eight shows a week, that's when the technical aspect comes in. But the beginning has to be human. And I, I don't want to do anything otherwise. Even if I'm playing like a, literally a cartoon character, I've got to find something human in, or, or I won't be true and I have to be truthful. Even if I'm lying, it has to be my truth. Yeah. On this, You know what Your I mean? Your lie. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, and a liar believes what they're saying most of the time. They, they talk themselves into
0: it somehow. They they know their own reality. They, they confirm their own reality. You just talked about having kids and sort of how that. It's like actually it's. Not 7.30. Yeah. And I'm still... Yeah. And I'm still... One's still hanging uh, off my, you know, my hip and then... And obviously the fun of of when there's a job that you can bring your kids to work to and sort of the joy and the fantasy colliding in that way when that's happening. Were you worried about having kids and how that would affect your career? Was that something that you thought a lot about?
1: You know, I always wanted to be a mom. Uh, I don't know. My mom said even from when I was a toddler, I would try to hold other people's babies and drop, you know, <laughs> she would say, stop, stop, get away from them, which my daughter does now. She's always coming up to somebody's baby or their puppy and trying to maul them. I always wanted to be a mom. And so what was what was shocking to me was how how when I did become pregnant or as I was going through my entire 30s of having kids and trying to basically the bulk of my career being at the exact same time, how hard that became because I was in it and doing it, I never stopped to think about it. You know, had I stopped to think about it, I wouldn't have I, – I don't know if I would have been as bold to charge forward. But I wanted to be a mom so much that – I was doing um, South Pacific, and I was like, let's get to. Pre- I want to have a baby. I want to have a baby. Not thinking about how it would look doing cartwheels at five and a half months pregnant, you know, or not thinking about how hard it would be to get back into that swimming suit after I had him, which did I did. Did you have
0: easy pregnancies or hard pregnancies? His was
1: He was easy, and thankfully, I mean, I was sick a little bit in the morning in the beginning, but, um, but I was still doing – you know, it was my first pregnancy, so I didn't know what to compare it to. Charlotte was very difficult for me. I was doing um, nice work if you can get it, and I did both until I was about – both kind of dancing musicals tells about 5 months pregnant and um uh, that was I was sick for longer with her I was sick all day long and for like 6 months you know it just wouldn't go away and I didn't know I guess having a girl sometimes can make the hormones crazy but um I worked through my whole pregnancies with both and I actually tended to I couldn't get myself up to go to work like it was so hard but once I did it I was incredibly energized by that and felt good about doing that and felt good about staying connected to it all but it was always the timing of things. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like I ruined a couple of shows. You know, Far From Heaven, I was nine months pregnant trying to play this vulnerable. You know, it was – it was. I feel badly about that because um, I think the show, you know, could have used me in my my other version. Um, non-pregnant Non-pregnant Kelly. Kelly. Just for believable – you know, for truth's sake. And then, of course, I, I missed the first leg of Bridges, which I had built from the d- day up because I got pregnant. But I – There's no regrets, you know. Yeah. I feel badly for the artistic teams that were putting those things together, but um, nothing, no
0: regrets here. This is such an odd memory that I'm having, and I was trying to figure it out as you were sitting here. I think I met you Hmm. many, many moons ago. I, You know, when you see someone's work so much, you're like, Friends we Jessica. know each other. We yeah, know each totally. other. Yeah. We have a million. The lovely Judy <laughs> I do that Keane time, put us yes. together and all these mutual friends. And, but I am now remembering you, and I don't know if you guys were married yet, but your incredibly adorable husband at in Carmel, New York. Was it Curtin Sherry's house? It was Curtin Sherry's house. There was a name for it. I can't remember the name of that house. Uh, well, they called it, it the Pumpkin House. The Pumpkin yes. House. It belonged to Jane Alexander at yes, one point. And I remember, I remember looking over, and there was just this couple sitting like over like a it wasn't it? was like a little stream yes. where people were mm-hmm. uh, sitting, uh, swimming, and I looked up and I thought that couple is insanely in love. Oh, I love that story! I just <laughs> have this moment, and like you were just there was so much going on, and and it, it's Sherry Renee Scott's house that we're talking about, and yes, and yes. Uh, and
1: she set us up, by the way.
0: Sherry so you Sherry guys Sherry was
1: the matchmaker for that. Well, yeah. she was right. She was right. Yes.
0: Um, and I just remember there was this stillness at the center of this very animated party filled with theater folk, mm-hmm. and there was a real stillness there, and it was a really kind of beautiful. The light was just perfect on both of you. And I remember <laughs> I had that. I had it
1: flown in. I had the, the, <laughs> the no, key no. light. Yeah. No, I, I always know. do. The
0: Barbara Streisand yeah, light so, was lit yeah. on you. I don't know, what year did you guys meet? When did she set you guys she up? She set us
1: up in, it, it was December of 2002. They tried for a few months, but I just wasn't ready. And and then I went to see him. Had you had
0: like a major boyfriend before? I had a major
1: boyfriend, yeah, for, for several years. Okay. And we were even, uh, I mean, we were pretty serious. And I met him right when I moved to, the, moved to New York. And he was a, quite a, a great kind of wonderful support for me. He was he knew more about the business than I did. He was in management and production, you know, producing and so he really kind of was the person I leaned on and great friend and and we had a good relationship, but it wasn't, you know, what then I would find. And and I'm I'm so thankful that things worked out the way they did and um we stopped dating, and then it was quite a ways later. But I was trying to get ready to meet somebody new, and Sherry had this idea. And so they kind of tried for a few months, but then the Shikaboom Christmas concert happened in, in December on December 9th of that year, and they said, "Come see him play. Come see him sing. And if you don't, you know, if you don't like what you see, just leave." And it's, you know, well, I'm not even going to say it's cliche because it's absolutely what happened. I took a friend with me because I was scared to, you know, just... You're wingman. Yeah, wing one of these girls I moved to. The girl I yeah. moved to New York with and lived in that little apartment. And I I didn't know who he was. The first guy that walked out on stage was Tom Kitt to play, who ended up playing in our wedding, by the way.
0: Walk- well, by the way, when I was pregnant was my piano teacher. Oh, I love it. Okay. I love it so Tom much. Kitt. Tom Kit was your piano teacher. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I think before yeah. I have a baby, I'm going to do, do this thing t- I <laughs> always wanted to do. I love like, that. I'm going to have Mozart come yeah, I'm, I'm going to have
1: Pulitzer Prize winner Tom Kitt come to give <laughs> me lessons. <laughs>
0: That's true. And of
1: course he did because he's so amazing. He's the sweetest um, man ever. So he walked out on the stage and I'm like, oh, he's so cute. And and then I didn't know if that was him because you couldn't Google people back then. So all of these people that I know now, like, Mar- uh, like um, Norm Lewis sang and and then all of a sudden this, this quartet came out, and I think it was Sherry, Alice Ripley, Norbert Leo Butts, and Mr. Greg Naughton. All those hacks. Yeah. All Just those gross. Hacks. It was yeah. terrible. They were singing Untalented. Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. Ugh. Crosby, Stills, the Nash. He walks out, and I remember – I know what he was wearing, everything. And I remember saying to myself, I know him. I know him somehow in my past. I know his – I know who this per- – in, in some other life. And I said, if that's the person that she wants to see, I'm done. I'm done. And I've never felt any other way. And I, I promise you, you know, aside from like, do you have to squeeze the toothpaste? Whatever it is. You know, whatever you get. A lot his of those. Huma- a his, lot of those,
0: slight human. His slight humanness. human
1: characteristics. Yes. Other than, But I mean, I just, I hit the jackpot when it comes to that because he's taught me so much. Because you said the stillness. You, I was probably in my head or had been flitting about in this Broadway community up there in this beautiful, house, the pumpkin house. I was probably running around saying... He was probably the one sitting there beckoning me to come sit next to him and be still. You know, Greg's in a, Greg sings like Stevie Wonder. He's in. A, he just made a film. He, you know, he has pilots going. You know, whatever he's, um, and he has a band that he makes things. He makes, he makes things, things, and he's the most incredible. Like when you see him on stage, he's the most. You cannot take your eyes off of him, and yet he's the one that'll say, "Come sit with me. Turn off that phone. You know, whatever it is. He's just." he's kept me grounded and even while he's flying you know even while he's up on stage literally stealing the show he's kind there's something about him that's just peace you know just like beaming from from his heart and um she she set us up and we had our first date on December 13th that year and that's it that was it done you know so that was 15 almost 15 years ago
0: that's incredible yeah that's a really nice story.
1: You know, I'm about to do Brigadoon with Patrick Wilson, and Patrick and I've, you know, seen each other a couple of times over the years and we definitely have circle like similar friends, but we don't know each other. I was at my agent's Christmas party who was his agent at the time. It was December 13th, 2002, and apparently they were setting us up. But I don't think either of us knew it. They introduced me, and I, and I knew Greg was downstairs going to pick me up for our first date. And I was just shaking with excitement. And he, I literally said, oh, hi, Patrick. That's my brother's name. Bye. And that's all. And <laughs> I'll see realized, you in 15 years I, in Brigadoon. I, 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 I'll just see you in 15 years in Brigadoon, and we won't be a couple.
0: You know what I mean? That's unbelievable. Because so,
1: uh, I remember I just needed to get out there to him, you know.
0: Well, Kelly O'Hara. I, uh... Oh! <laughs> He just talked to Dr. Like... Did you ask me anything you meant to ask me? I've asked you everything I meant to oh, ask good. you, which is like, How are you? And uh, that is what the show is. And it's just a joy to kind of just check in with people I admire so much oh, whose work has brought me personally, so much joy, and the world collectively, so much joy. You always just bring such compassion to all the characters you play. And it is really an honor to live on the planet at the same time as you and get to watch you do this work. And thank, <laughs> thank you. you. And thank you for coming on the show. It means the world.
1: I'm going to leave. I'm the greatest person who ever lived based on that. Thank you. <laughs> Run, take the headphones <laughs> off you. and get out before okay. anything else happens. I will.
0: Thank you. Find out more at promedia.nyc.